Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be joining us from. My name is Devin Morgan, Director of Youth Baseball at Driveline, founder of the Driveline Academy. And this is the Driveline Academy podcast, the world's most dangerous youth baseball podcast. And I am joined in spirit, not in person, by my brother, my partner, my co-host, Driveline Academy Assistant Director, Jeremy Tectiel. Uh, and you are coming to me from a hotel room in Virginia uh, because I'm presenting at the Virginia Baseball Coaches Association. Uh, talk this morning. I'm going to talk again later this afternoon and then again tomorrow morning. Um, so it's a very fun weekend and it is addition of very fun weekend because the Skills of Skill Complete Training Manual pre-sale starts this coming weekend. So uh, if you have previously purchased an educational product from us in the form of Hacking the Kinetic Chain Youth, Youth Baseball Development Certification, or the Skills of Skill Practice Book, in your email on Sunday, you are going to get a discount code so you can pre-order the new book at a discounted rate because we appreciate the heck out of your support and I want to make sure you guys continue to ride with us. And if you haven't purchased any of those things, we still love you very much. You guys are going to be able to get access to the pre-order coming this Monday. Um, the other thing that comes with that is an expectation of when the book is actually going to be in your hands because we're starting with a pre-sale. Uh, currently, we are communicating a ship date, uh, so it should be arriving to you by the end of January. Uh, we are doing everything in our power to beat that estimate, but because book printing is kind of a goofy process, um, I want to make sure we give tons of runway to this thing so to make sure that like I don't promise first week in January, and we aren't able to hit that, and then you guys are disappointed. So, a uh, book should be coming to you in hands if you order it by the end of January, and if there is any and everything that I can do to advance that timeline to get it to you sooner, you can best believe that I'm going to do it. Um, so what's going to follow now is the second part of our complete review of the contents of the Skills of Skill training manual. Um, Jeremy and I sat down a couple weeks ago and spent like an hour and 40 minutes going through the whole thing. Um, so here's part two of that conversation. Um, hopefully it's good. Hopefully you get a good picture of the contents of the book, uh, the value proposition of it, which is simply, uh, simply stated that I'm pretty sure that... Um, the biggest leverage that we can bring to improving youth baseball is really reorienting that focus on player development through our lens of skills of scale. Because youth baseball should not be the destination, but it should be a stop on the journey towards a competitive 90-foot uh, high school baseball experience. Uh, that's what we orient for. That's why we developed the skills of scale concept. And that's why we have the book that comes out and gives into uh, all of the weeds about what and why uh, how you would go about executing that uh, that that initiative. So, without further ado, here's part two of that conversation between Jeremy and I about the contents of the Skills of Skill Practice Book. If you missed last episode, um, go back, listen to that one. Uh, this is going to cover chapters six through the rest of the book. A um, bunch of good stuff. Go check it out. Thanks. Um, chapter six, you start getting a little bit more into the practical application of stuff. Um, Big Abraham Lincoln quote guy, uh, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. I thought it was going to be the, I will attack you with the north. <laughs> Wasn't that the quote? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Um, I still think that like some of the most low-hanging fruit that we have in youth baseball is just getting more kids to execute like a good and functional dynamic warm-up because a lot of times it's just, it is like the, the single biggest uh missing ingredient um you know the when my son did go to his um to his captain's practice uh i was just like look man uh you need to understand that you're moving into a period of time where you have to be diligent about this stuff um and it might not be you know your teammates might not be and and that's okay like you can't 
you know, you can't impart, you can't force other people to kind of do, do it differently than the way that they're going to do it. But you have to understand the stuff that helps you perform. Yeah, you're going to have to show up. Yep. Ten minutes early and do your own dynamic and start yep. your do your throwing because the team's not going to. Yep. Exactly. This is something we talked about with our high school kids last year. Uh, we had we had a few staff members who played in college talk to them about that kind of stuff, and you know that was one of the things that got brought up is like if you go to a college where they don't do weighted ball programs, and on the throwing side or the hitting side, you're gonna have to show up early. Yeah. Like you're gonna have to put in extra time because. You know that stuff makes you a better athlete yeah. and prepares you, and they're not going to do it. So if you know that that stuff works for you, you have to put in your own time. Yep, and you you have to own it. Yeah. You have to own it. Um, so chapter seven, uh, we're getting into throwing and pitching, right? And starting with a quote by old uh, El Jefe himself, a since-deleted tweet. Really? Yeah, because, you know, Kyle cleans out his tweets every once in yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's killed this one a long time ago, okay. but I still have the screenshot. Good. Therefore, I put it in the book, which is uh, consider that maybe your repeated practice has turned you into the person that you are, and more of that will cement the present version of you. That's a, that's some 2018 Kyle Bodie gas. Um, so we're talking a lot about, you know, we're getting a little bit more in-depth on the throwing skills of scale, um, and specifically the, the big thing we talk right off the right off the bat is uh, mechanisms of throwing injuries because that, again, velocity is great. Command is great. It means nothing if you're hurt. It means literally nothing. Um, and there's, you know, unfortunately, there isn't a ton of, like, new data at scale um, to kind of substantiate this point. But, you know, I, I dug up some old stuff that, that really had a deep level analysis over a long period of time. And the trend of UCL reconstructions from like 2003 to 2014 is like, it's, it's, it is as bad as you would expect it would yeah. be. Um, and, you know, we, we get a little bit from that into like, look, unfortunately we don't have better data at scale about this level of analysis. But the thing that we can tell since 2014 is the rate of games being played and the tournaments being filled yeah. in addition to the layer of rec baseball below that, which is, which is substantial. Yeah. Um, that's so one, that's one way to put it. Yeah. Um, so we talk a lot about, you know, injury prevention and kind of the mechanisms of injury, which again, we're, we're just kind of coming back to the same thing about these domain specific injuries, little league elbow and little league shoulder are repetitive stress injuries. Um, we have the data from our throwing mill caps uh, of a decent, I would say, sample size. Young kids don't produce a ton of force. They just, that, again, numbers don't lie, people do. I can tell you that if you're looking at, like, uh, um, inverse dynamics, load at the joints, kids don't produce a ton of force, yet they still are getting injured. Well, why is that? It's not because of the acute, it's the chronic. Right, it is repetitive stress, and that's how we've gotten to these places. Um, so you can poo-poo a kid's mechanics all you want. Um, the odds are that no matter how well, let me let me. If think. you poo-poo his mechanics and your uh, solution to fix his mechanics is have him throw like three bullpens a week with you during private pitching lessons, uh, you have missed the boat by a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so we get into, you know, breaking balls as a risk factor for injury, of which we've done a decent amount of previous research on. Um, I won't bury the lead here. Uh, basically, the most stressful pitch a kid is going to throw is a fastball. Um, if you normalize for velocity, right, so if you kind of normalize the difference of velocity between an off-speed pitch and a fastball, 
Um, you know, yeah, you might see as much stress, if not maybe a little bit more with sliders and curveballs, but that doesn't change the fact that the most stress and the most consistent stress that your kid is going to experience is just by throwing heaters. It's not, you know, it's not a cost free. Because it's not a thing you can normalize in a real game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not a, it's not a cost free endeavor. Unless um, you are having your kids throw fastballs the same exact velo as a breaking ball. See the subheader? Mm-hmm. Um, and then your boy wrote a big thing uh, about the safety of overload and underload training, and I wrote it with a subheader that was a little bit... Um, so that's, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> official and going in the book. It was a little bit graphic about directing my ire at a person who published a study about weighted ball training that I don't think was done with the most... Uh, most clear of intentions and uh no 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 i i it's not that i don't think it was i know it was not done with the most clear of intentions yeah unless the intention was let's hurt some kids yeah um so uh we really get you know deep into the weeds about breaking down uh some of the existing weighted ball research which basically breaks in two different ways asmi driveline ball weight go up stress go down because arm speed goes down uh some other outlier people uh went in a different direction, both with the way that they kind of cataloged the data and the program that they had kids run. And then kids started throwing harder, but they also got hurt. And they also didn't track anything in season. They don't track the direct injury to the uh, methodology of training. It was just a bad study. But it's been a popular one, so I I really tried to burn a bunch of calories. Yeah, because it proves some some people's theories about weighted ball training correct. Yeah. So they're going to use it over and over again to throw it in our face, even though it was very, very poorly executed and designed. Yeah. So uh, if you're a guy out there who's going to have a kid do 165 pull downs a week and they got hurt, well, then that's your fault because that's the, the program. Um, and, I, and I think you should have to throw 165 pull downs a week. Agreed. Um, so we talk a lot about kind of uh, getting into, okay, so we've demystified some of the injury concerns about overload underload training. Now let's talk about how we kind of understand this idea of throwing workloads, right? How do we not only calculate volume but also intensity uh, to be able to monitor arm fitness in a way that actually means something? Um, how do we talk about like a catalyst actually onboard a kid? to progressively kind of build up throwing levels of fitness to kind of safely do this stuff. Talk a lot about, you know, what is an appropriate way to take time off from throwing. We deviate a little bit from the way that the MLB pitch mark recommendation is concerned. We explain why. Um, and, and again, just really kind of keep coming back to this health thing, um, starting with good habits around a warm-up. Um, because it's just, it's just, it's critically, critically important. Um, so we talk, then we get a little bit more in the weeds about um, velocity, command, what that actually looks like when you start executing the program, um, some of the issues with queuing, um, what are some environments we can put kids in to kind of train this stuff, uh, what are some reasonable goals we can have, how do we scale these environments up. Um, it is a long chapter. Is that right? Yeah, that's like a 60-page chapter. So if you want a lot of stuff on hit, on throwing, I got that for you. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, I think the thing I did want to finish that chapter with is just this idea that, like, this stuff is kind of messy. You know, we're talking about we're talking about kids, man. Like, we're, we're talking about kids. Uh, we're talking about kids learning a skill that is really, really difficult for professional adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if kids are kids, then, well, you know, that that's going to mean something uh, about kind of how 
how you as the coach should kind of correctly have your expectations set to not, I don't know, not set your kids up for failure. I think that's the, that's the worst thing that can happen is you just set kids up for, for very bad outcomes. Um, hitting chapter, um, I'm actually going back to a little Ted Williams one, right? Uh, so this is lady, Wendy Cope. Uh, and if you want to know if you're a really good ball player, uh, people will write songs about you. <laughs> this is literally a thing that happened back in the day. Wendy Cope uh, wrote this song about Ted Williams, and one of the, I think in the bridge of it, it goes, uh, enjoy your talents, have your fling, the seasons change, the years advance. Watch the ball and do your thing, and don't let anybody mess with your swing. Um, and then I back that up with an old Stan Musial. Uh, the one unbreakable rule about hitting is this. If a batter hits the ball well uh, with his own particular stance and swing, think twice or more before suggesting a change. Uh, point being that in youth baseball, I think a lot of times we look at kids and they, they move a little bit weird and their setup is a little bit weird. And we can't agree on the principles of where they should be in the swing. So we get into the minutia of the method and then we just like jack them around all over the place. Now you're asking the kid to swing in a way that just doesn't work for them. Yeah. Um, and the more that you make those decisions, again, like divorced from output or divorced from data, the easier it is to find yourself trapped in that way, which I think is just like completely does a, does a disservice to kids. Um, so the hitting chapter, again, we're just talking about, you know, approach and swing decisions. Uh, this idea of wanting our hitting mechanics to be defined by output and intention. Um, we talk about the different phases of the swing to really like get into the weeds there. Uh, and we have some, some pretty simple principles for swings. Um, and again, principles being the operative word, right? So a balanced and athletic stance. Number one sounds like salad. Cause like, what does that even mean? Sure. Uh, but the reason that I kind of, you know, we've talked about this, right? You don't want a healthy side salad yeah. with your steak. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, a little bit of salad here because balance and athletic is something that I think should be relative to the athlete, not me as a coach making a projection on a kid. Um, I mean, you know, when I was coaching really, really young kids, what I would do is I would have them like stand at home plate, jump as high as they could in the air in their landing position. I was like, that's probably where you should be. Yeah. Is that perfect? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you know, I had some kids who would do that and they would go back to kind of their same setup as before. It's okay. You know, we, we can find them some different positions. Again, we just don't want to be divorced from output and intention. So is, is this where I put Hunter Pence's face? <laughs> like right here? Don't put Henry right there. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about some unique movements. It um, worked. Yeah. Um, if, if he can do that at the highest level, then uh, what are we doing trying to coach that out of 10-year-olds? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, if it's not working for them, we can change it. Yeah. Um, we talk a little bit about like a couple swing flaws and I really wanted to just do a handful of these and not like a, a full laundry list because it's more about, I think it's more about how you think about them and how you try to even decide if this is a flaw than it is anything yep. else because kids are kids, man. They're going to move a little bit funky. Uh, some of them are going to have swings that look like they are stepping in the bucket, but like, how do you really know that's a thing? Are they actually pulling off the ball? Are they actually significantly affecting their stride direction? Or are they moving in a way to create space to turn a barrel? Yeah. Because I've, I've seen both. But I think a lot of times we just kind of jump on castigating them for one thing without kind of like, oh, no, the kid just moves really well. And they're yeah, for what it looks like aesthetically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, talk a lot about kind of the, you know, the different environments we're going to train against, you know, the pluses and minuses of each because they all have their, you know, different different ways that they are going to affect training. Um, 
The strength and LTAD quest section uh, is the next one. Um, it's a little bit shorter, and it's it's shorter to a point that like I almost worried about putting it in, but I need you, dear listener, dear reader, to understand that like unless your child is a real significant outlier, you gotta be strong. Like that's man, that that's just it's the truth. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm trying to think about this. I'm trying to think if we have any kids in Academy now that like are that way where they're like the Jordan Ventura, where they just like look like they can't bench the bar. Wait. Oh, you, but oh. still have like outliers. I was thinking like, Jordan stuff. Oh, well. Cause I was going to say, uh, Ryan Eden. Uh, yeah. but like he would be an outlier in the, in on the, the other, other direction. Way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could make that argument for multiple kids on my team. Yeah. That they are punching well above their body weight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because of their actions. Yeah. And because they've been here for a long time and we've gotten them to a point in the weight room where they're producing a lot of force for the weight that they have. Yep. And it's like, okay, now we need to gain more weight because, like, we are at, like, kind of the physical capacity of how much force we can produce with you at 125 yeah. 130 pounds which is which is real man like it's there there's a reason why you know like there was that thing floating around last week like the average weight of uh mlb players at basically every position all of them pretty close to 200 pounds oh yeah easy yeah like sorry that's yep. just the way it and is. like that's as long as this chapter needs to be right yeah. it's like uh you can't be that good at this game if you are that small yeah because you just can't impact that much force throwing or, or hitting the ball yeah. So, uh, so that chapter uh, again. And go ahead. When I say small, I don't mean short. I want to be very clear. I don't mean short. There are some very short dudes that have played and been very successful at the major yeah. league level. Yep. That's uh, real. Don't use shortness as an excuse to not be strong and be a good athlete. Oh, hum, babe. Uh, quote there, chapter nine. Sometimes magic is just spending more time on something than anyone might reasonably expect. From Teller of Penn and Teller. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Wait. Doesn't he not talk? No, that's the other one, right? One of them doesn't talk. No, he's the one that doesn't talk, but he wrote. Oh, yeah. look at that. Yeah. He should talk more. I know, right? Um, let's see. What's, what's next? What's next? What's next? Um, uh, chapter 10 is where we get into catching. Uh, passion, passion subject of your boy. Um, and I wanted to do a catching-specific chapter for, for two reasons. One, I think it's just like fundamentally underdeveloped a lot of times on the youth side. And the problem is, is that... If you have underdeveloped catchers, it really, I mean, as we know, significantly affects yeah. the way that okay. the game ends up playing out. Um, and I, I think it's it's not difficult. Catch you in the middle of coaching. No, oh, look at that. Um, I, I think it's not difficult to to start to break this down in a way that makes it more palatable for like what you're actually trying to ask them to do. Yeah. Because uh, I think what we see a lot of times is, you know, kids naturally are like, I want to catch, and then those are the catchers we train, but then we end up not having enough catchers sometimes when there aren't enough kids that say that because it feels really scary for a lot of kids. Yeah, you know, like they, feel, they feel like there's a lot on the line if they get it wrong, and there is, but if you can start to understand how to get a kid, um, what, again, the principles of performance in that of that role and then help them build that, you're more likely to be able to have more adequate catching. And, like, I have never uh, – I've pushed a couple kids into catching. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'll never do it if like they really, really are terrified of it. But like if they're slightly terrified, I push them into it a little bit. And I've never uh, pushed a kid into catching, and that kid doesn't love catching. Yes. Like it. Yes. It. It's a great, very fun, very involved, very active, engaging position to play. It's just a lot of people don't want to. And if you make it more fun to enter into that, yeah. When you're younger, we're gonna have way more catchers when we get older. And like one thing I struggle with with my team, and I have. Quite a few catchers. Yeah. They also play other positions. Yep. A lot of these catchers pitch. Yep. And, like, I don't want to have them catch multiple games in a weekend yeah. because I want to be able to use them elsewhere and not completely burn them out, knees, arms, yeah. everything. Yeah. And, like, I am blessed with enough catchers that I can do that, whereas, like, many other teams, including teams at driveline of similar age levels, don't have that kind of depth of catching Yeah. because a lot of these kids – said no when they were 10, and it's like, nope, we're training never, everybody. Yeah, Every never, kid, 10, 11, 12, yeah. is getting there, getting behind the plate, learning how to be a catcher, and if they do that and then don't like it, fine, you don't have to play catcher. Yeah. But like, we at least need to be able to throw five, six kids behind the plate if someone gets hurt or whatever and, and not have pass ball, pass ball, pass ball, pass ball, pass ball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talk a lot about you know the catching stances. Um, if you were looking for me to definitively stump for uh, one style or another, Sorry, uh, because what matters most is actually being able to, like, do the job. Yeah. Uh, do I think a lot of kids actually benefit from a one-knee-down stance because it lowers their eye level? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Does that mean that, like, every kid has, I think, the flexibility and mobility to, like, be effective in one-knee-down? Probably not. Or I, I think for me the biggest thing is, as a person who used to catch is, like, uh, a lot of times when kids need, do one knee down, it's not to lower their eye level. It's so uh, they can be a little lazy. Yeah. And then yeah, if yeah, that's yeah. the reason they're doing it, yeah, yeah. they're not going to be yeah. agile mobile on one knee to be able to black balls. Yep. Because the reason they're down on one knee is because they're lazy in the first yeah, place. Absolutely. So I think the one knee uh, gets a lot of flack unnecessarily and unfairly. Yeah. Because, like, the selection bias of people who do one knee is going to be some lazier catchers. But, like, if you're doing it for the right reasons, there's no reason why you should not be a one knee down catcher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and next chapter. Learn how to do that, and then maybe if you're if you know I'm not mobile out of a one knee setup, okay. When there's a runner on base, yep. then you you bail on the one knee setup. Right. Which, if you understand like the principles of the role in different scenarios, you have that type of flexibility, yep. right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be one knee down's parable. Two knees up is t- like man, yeah. like we got to be smarter. Than that. Yep. Um, Chapter 11, uh, going to some some ideas about kind of how to run effective team practices. Um, because, again, the book kind of functions both individual training yeah. and team training. We're trying to do both because, uh, you know, in, if, I, if I bought my own book in one year of my life, I would be running this with my own kid. In a different time in my life, I would have been running with a team. I wanted to give you guys everything. Um, start off with a, with a little Seneca quote. Uh, Think your way through difficulties. Harsh conditions can be softened. Restricted ones can be widened, and heavy ones can weigh less on those who know how to bear them. Hmm. Um, gosh, who was I listening to? Somebody who was a strength guy a couple weeks ago. He was talking about, like, he set some crazy world record for, um, uh, it was Lane Norton. Um, he set some, some uh, Lane is a, that dude is a savage, super strong. And he was like, he was talking about this progression of his bench press, and he has some preposterous bench now. He's like, you know, it's not that because he can bench, you know, 440 or 480 or whatever. He's like, it's not that 315 isn't 315. It's still 315 pounds. I just know how to handle it, Yeah. which is very much like the cynical quote. Um, 
So, you know, for the practice design thing or team practices, try to go into like this 101, 201, 301, and then 401 idea of like, you got to, you know, think about some different ways to kind of understand this off the top, right? A 101 is just like, man, core concepts, right? How are we going to get the most value out of team practices? I'll just cut to the chase here. It's not with like one kid taking a rep and 11 of them watching. That ain't it. Um, you know, you, you have to be really efficient with your time to get your most out of practices. So the way that we kind of approach it is just like thinking about menus, right? It's like if you understand all the potential things you could have on your menu and you understand what works are hitting, what works are throwing, what works for defense individual, which works for team, whatever, you can kind of layer in these menu ingredients and create a practice plan that works for your kids and you can get you can get all of it, right? Like yeah. you can get all of it in a 90-minute or a two-hour practice if you just are efficient with the way that you kind of go about uh, getting into your time. And understanding that there are certain things that you're just not going to be able to avoid. Yes. Having some kids stand around. When you're doing testing or things like that, there's just... Yeah. You could try to avoid it as much as possible with really good practice design, but like it's never going to be completely unavoidable. Yeah. And and one of the big unlocks there for, for those of us that end up running teams on the rec level is actually just like creating assets out of your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have those parents that are like, they're at the practice. They're going to drop the kid off and watch. Hey, man, I don't need you to be a coach. I need you to be a facilitator for this station. Yeah. You know, like it's it's super easy to, to kind of upgrade your practices just by, again, expectation settings or what you're looking to get out of any parents that might be helping. Um, so then we get into Chapter 12. We get into schedule, schedule and approach. Um, this is an old, uh, it's a Ryan Holiday quote where he's like pulling from uh, – uh, Heraclitus or whatever, uh, under the comb, the tangle and the straight path are the same. Um, right. Like you understand that like, this is a, this is a difficult task to try to like train a team with kids, try to execute a schedule, um, under the comb as you try to like apply this process to it, you get the same thing. Um, so we talk a lot about kind of the way that we would approach the schedule at an individual level, um, how you'd kind of execute the schedule if you're in a rec season, uh, and then how you would ex- get into that schedule if you're in like the travel and select ball side of things. And the um, the bet that I am laying is that if you're on a travel or select ball team or you're a coach who buys this book that's running a team, is that you control your own schedule because you do. Um, you just have to decide like, what you're going to do and what you're not going to do in order to get like the most value out of this approach. Um, you know, like with, with this autonomy of having like a club or a select team that isn't beholden to like a little league or a pony league schedule comes with the responsibility of making it work for you and not just going like, well, they got games this weekend. We got to go play. Like maybe you don't. Um, Chapter 13, we're getting close to the end here, uh, team and organizational culture. Um, there's an old uh, Jacob Rees quote who is a journalist that I only know about because uh, Greg Popovich uh, used to have this quote, I think, on his wall when he was coaching at like a military academy. One of Teddy Roosevelt's best friends. That's right. Oh, okay, let's go. Uh, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it yet. At the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Um, when you think about kind of this process of either individual development or team development, 
you're going to see these type of breakthroughs and it's really easy to go like, oh, that was it. But like, no, it's the process, right? It's, it's all the things that you did. It just happened to manifest itself in this particular time. Um, team culture like is, is pretty big. I talk a lot about this idea of like, man, you, you got to have, what does it look like to actually build trust and have good communication, you know, with your coaches? And, and like, honestly, I thought a lot, I thought a lot about you about like how, how you build this stuff from the ground up to have these type of relationships with, with players where they will buy in, right? Cause like a lot of them, they may be nervous. They may be scared. They may have bad coaches previously. There may be any number of reasons why they might, I don't want to say mistrust you, but they might not buy all the way in. And if you need them to commit to get the most out of it, like what are the coaching behavior that you can exemplify that's actually going to get you there? Um, you know, for, for us, again, this idea of like quality at bats, uh, things, this idea of like pursuing effort over outcome um, is very much just, it's a broad perspective on on why it's like it's the outcome of everything else, mm -hmm. right? If we understand... Um, that the intention of youth baseball is to develop more 90-foot baseball players, and that's what we're trying to do with this book, then it's easier to kind of go like, yeah, I want effort over outcome because you agreed on the principle first. Yeah. You know? Once what we talked about last week's pod, like without that, all the rest of this is just words. Yeah. And like yeah. you can have the best words ever yep. to talk to this player, and if they're not mentally – if they don't trust you, if they're not in a position to hear it yeah. from you specifically, then like you're you're not a good coach. Even if you might actually be like the best coach that's out there, you're not actually yep. coaching that kid. Yep. Um, and then the final chapter, chapter fourteen, is the uh, conclusion. Um, the the quote is a, is a is one of my favorites. I mean, these are all like my favorite quotes. I just put them on display. That's why they're in the book. Um, but it's uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Uh, Every revolution was first a thought in one man's mind. And when the same thought occurs to another man, it is the key to that era. Um, we talked last week about you know the ABCA Youth Summit. We've talked about uh, a lot about kind of the place that youth baseball is in. Um, it's not good, but I think we can make it better. Uh, that's you know I don't I don't know if it's I don't know if it's ego or if it's vanity, but like. I tried to write this book for myself 13, 14 years ago. You know, like if if my life has basically revolved around nothing but this since I started coaching and acutely more so since I started at Driveline, it's like how same thing we did with youth baseball development certification, right? Like if, if I have learned some stuff that I think made me have a, a more better understanding of my players that led to more positive experience for my players that led to more of them wanting to come back and play baseball next year. Not just the good ones, but the other ones who might've needed more development that like, if I had them, you know, if they were 12 and that kid signed up for like juniors and intermediates next year, that that's, that's the North star that I was shooting for. And like, how do I help more coaches learn the same stuff that I did faster to get that same effect for the kids? Like that's the whole point. Um, and the story that I tell is um, is from my own life, and it's um, it's how I stopped playing baseball. Um, and you know, the funny thing is, is it like for a long time, the story that I told myself about my experience of being like a younger kid playing with older high school kids. Um, 
and and like having a bad experience and then finally deciding to quit when I was like eh, either 16 or 17, I don't remember. Um, I always like put the coach that was at the center of that as like he was the villain in the story. Sure. And, um, you know, I was like, I'm trying to write the conclusion to the book and I'm like, you know, ultimately, like, I'm, I'm glad, you know, like I, I'm glad that I had that experience with that guy because it put me in a position when I had to start coaching kids to know that I wanted to do it differently. Like, how, how can I be mad at him? You know, cause like, it's, it's not, you know. And again, if I was ever good in this game, I certainly wasn't good long enough, and I certainly wasn't good when it mattered. Um, so if my story in this game is like basically over, then what's the positive I can take from it? You know? Yeah. And and the positive is is like, man, it just you know I I knew I needed to do something different. I I, I had to, I had to, um, because I had to coach my own kids. Yeah. You I, thought your story in the game was over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, and like, in really wrapping my head around the fact that, like, man, that what a what a gift, like, what a gift, yeah. you know, like, I don't know that I realized it when I was like eighteen years old and you know watching some of the kids that I, I grew up with still playing, and I was I'm sure I was probably bitter. Um, I don't think I realized it at that point. I don't think I realized it when I was in like my late twenties. But met a girl in a bar, fell in love, made people, and those people had the affliction of wanting to play this stupid, infuriating, beautiful game. And it's like, oh, I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And I had no reason to fall back on like whatever, whatever experience that I had because like I, I wasn't any good. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm confident that uh, that there are experiences and perspective that you can get in this game that you only get when you play at a very, very high level of consequence competition. I don't have that. How relevant is that perspective to getting a kid through baseball from the ages of 9 to 14? I have that experience. It's not relevant. Right. It's it really is not very relevant to to getting a kid through nine to fourteen, and like my story is obviously a bit different than yours. I got in an argument with my high school coach freshman year, and that was it for me for playing high school baseball. <laughs> so I played travel through high school, but never actually played high school. Yeah. And then the day I got into that argument with the coach, freshman year on the first day after tryouts, the actual first day of like baseball practice, when I was decided I was gonna argue with the coach and be done which i was right but you know it's fine uh (laughs) i went and saw one of my favorite teachers who told me uh you like you want to work in baseball you're never gonna make it like there's no way you're ever gonna make it there yeah if like you can't even play if you're like if you're if you're not gonna play high school baseball yeah your career in baseball is done yeah and it was like okay uh it's not but yeah you've challenged me and now I'll work a lot harder. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. you, you took the, okay, this guy's ended my baseball career until the people you made yeah. brought you back into it. Yeah. And I was different in that. Like there was no way I was going to let someone dictate those terms. Yeah. Uh, and I had to like fight 
to get there on my own. And it's like, uh, we started in the same spot, diverged wildly, and wound up basically right back in the same spot. Yeah. And like, yeah. my experiences winning a minor league championship like don't have any impact over like the things we do on a day to day basis. Like, yeah. did I learn things from that experience? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but like, not relevant to nine or ten year olds. Yeah. Other than like, it's a lot easier to win when you have fun and like your teammates you don't say and like that was like a big takeaway from yeah multiple summers i have in minor league baseball and like one of them being much better than the rest of them like that was like a clear takeaway now were there other things there yeah of course but like that's about the only lesson i ever take from those high levels of baseball and like with that kind of consequence we're like these guys are fighting for every every for their for their jobs yeah. like they yeah. don't want to lose because then they may be done playing baseball you can't get more consequential than that yeah and i'm not taking a ton of the lessons that i learned from that experience and bringing them to baseball with 14 or under yeah even with our high school kids yeah it's just different it's just different and and to me i think that um, too many people think it's not i know i know so i'm trying to tell you uh, Buy I, this book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Uh, I think it is a reasonable thing that we should be able to do, which is teach more people how to be really good coaches that want kids to continue to play baseball, and they are on a path where their skill development is going to allow them to continue to play baseball. That's it. And I that, feel like we say this a lot, but, like, we didn't uh, – this book was not written to generate revenue or so that you could slit your wrists and bleed onto a page, right? Like, I mean, it felt like that sometimes. Well, the, well the, the bleep, I didn't say that that the this wasn't the what that part. was. I said it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't started and written no, for that. No. The the point of this was to change youth baseball because yeah. that is our mission, and like, yep. I think that this book goes a long way to getting the information, democratizing the information, getting it in more hands. And, like, starting to, like, it's going to take a long time to actually, like, change this incredibly toxic yep. culture around youth baseball. But that doesn't mean we can't start somewhere. No. And, and I think for, for me, you know, the first thing is just starting with information. I think it's just training. And, again, we've talked about this before, but I think the, the upside and downside to youth baseball is you have a lot of parents in the ecosystem that are – desperate to do right by their kids and they just don't know what that means. Yeah. They they have no idea. They have they have no principle so they're trying to find methods. Yep. And what we're trying to do in the book is establish very clearly what the method is uh because the principle defines the method. The principle is you have to have fun in this game. It can't be so flippin' negative. You have to develop critical skills. are going to allow you to be competitive for this inevitable change. Principles first, and then the methods are def- like the methods all come from that, and that's what we try to do. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that would listen to us talk and disagree with us because we have like a driveline background or whatever, or like you know, a lot of the stuff, whether it's like the posts or like the clips of videos we put out from the podcast, it is. Uh, intentionally and has to be a little clickbaity sure because we want people we want the the interaction we want the engagement on like the things we post yep this book is not that 
and like as someone uh, very wisely said on on uh, X, uh, what like a week and a half ago, like I think that more people would dis- would agree with us if they actually like yeah. listened to us and yeah. and tried to like learn where we were coming from. And there's way more we agree on with people than there is that we disagree on. And I think this book, like read in ho- as a whole, will really get a lot of people to understand like why we think the way we think yep. and like where we're coming from. And I think that that's really valuable. Yeah. And uh, so if it's attractive to you that this book is written by, you know, guys that didn't play uh, college <laughs> baseball, didn't play professional <laughs> baseball, but are compelled, uniquely compelled in a way that we are compelled with almost nothing else in this life to do the best job possible, to learn the most, to know the most, I got a thing for you. We got a book. That's how we made it. Um, so pre-order uh, is going to be, de- the date will be decided tomorrow. So uh, it should be first or second week in December uh, where I'm doing everything I can to try to get these things uh, under people's proverbial Christmas trees. I think the odds are we might miss that window by a little bit. Unless you're one of those people that keeps your Christmas tree up until like the new year, in which case I might have something for you. Uh, but we should be like physical copies late de- late December, um, early January. Uh, we'll have physical copies at ABCA. Um, yeah. So one could say that the the Axback code is December late. Ooh. Twenty. Oh, you know? that's freaking it all the way around. But, uh, so yeah, book pre-order is coming very soon. Um, I think there's a decent chance that we are going to road show this thing. So if you want the youth baseball bummer power hour to come to your town. Uh, I'm going to put something up on Twitter pretty soon here and figure out those cities because I, I think um, I was I've been I've been giving the <laughs> I've been giving the analogy. Uh, I was just like, yeah, we're going to just go out and like John the Baptist this thing, right? And I was talking to my mom this weekend, and she's like, yeah, but like, didn't he get beheaded? And I was like, oh no. So so if I can find a way, and to then I promote- showed that yes, I just saw a bunch of Renaissance paintings, and and like, yep, that, oh, just had on a platter, all of them. Yeah, so if I can find a way to get out and do like a book tour slash coaching clinic thing and not get beheaded, we're going to go, I think, do that. Um, So, yeah, pre-orders coming live very, very soon. Thank you guys for listening. I hope this uh, served to kind of break down all the content in the book. And, again, everything that we just talked about is just the written stuff, the YTP, the workouts, the schedule, the drill videos. It's all there. I trying to jump in a time machine and like make a thing that I could have used 15 years ago, you know, like, so I think it's going to be good. Um, details on the pre-order be coming sooner in our socials, uh, details on the youth baseball bummer power hour tour, uh, <laughs> coming soon. If I can get the clearance from Mike and Dudo to go do that thing, but I think we're going to go do it. Cause I think we got to get out and like talk to people. Um, I think that's going to be part of it. Um, and then once that's out in the world, ABCA is coming. Virginia Baseball Coaches Association is coming. Northwest Baseball Coaches Association is coming. Uh, I'm going to be out and about talking about the thing. Um, find us on the socials. I don't know. Come say what's up at ABCA. We're, yeah, we're, we're a month away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, it's coming fast. Yeah, it is. Oh. Um, yeah, ABCA is coming fast. Um, hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Hope everybody's going to have a great holiday. Uh it's the mood. It's the mood. I get real emotional at the holidays. I feel like people do. Yeah, like that's a that's a common thing. I'm, I'm, yeah, I gotta. You're thankful. You're grateful. You know, it's that yeah. time of year where you're you get to you get to be thankful. And and also, you know, up here as 
uh, well, I don't think you've seen it yet, but it went out. Oh, no, it's going out in like a half an hour, my post to the 15U channel. Uh, that includes our um, me posting the you know twelve ways to talk to your teenage child about oh mental health mental, yeah because uh, like we are entering the period uh, where we we don't see sun for a very long time yeah. in the state of Washington yeah. so like that that could definitely be a part of this yeah a little seasonal affective disorder yeah um, just a little bit but yeah man I, you don't want to talk about thankful man I'm, take your take your uh, vitamin D I'm very thankful. Uh, to be here. I'm thankful you and I get to do this thing together. Me too. I'm thankful I got a chance to write this book and uh, I am thankful to, I don't know, just try to make this thing better for, you know, any coaches who want to check it out, man. We're trying to do the best job that we can, trying to learn the most most we can about this to help the kids because that ultimately is what this is all about. Whatever time in the sun I had is far past over and all I'm trying to do is just push it forward and help people learn more about a better way to do this thing in a way that serves the kids, not my ego anything else other than that. That's all I got. Thank you guys. We'll catch you next time. Take it easy.